This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 216 of At Tim G311. My name is Tim, and joining me as always, but I gotta be I gotta be honest, I wasn't sure if you were gonna make it this time, Dane, just because of be maybe being a little bummed out and depressed for how the season right out for the Oakland A's so far. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, Tim. <laughs> I don't know if uh I don't know if that's the right word, Tim. Uh starting on six. Yeah. Um not very good. Not very happy. Not well, very positive. <laughs> well, it is a historic start to their season, though, but just not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, in all the wrong ways. <laughs> they, they they broke their own record, Tim. Um, it's definitely the worst start in Oakland. Um, it's their worst start since the Philadelphia days. <laughs> and uh, it was like that, the early nineteen hundreds, right? <laughs> Yeah, that team ended up with the worst winning percentage in in modern baseball. So, <laughs> so that's not a good uh, not a good start. Not 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 a good uh, omen, I'd say. To be fair, though, they've had a rough schedule as far as playing some really good teams. That I mean, sure. the Astros and yeah, we know they're cheaters, but <laughs> they're supposed to not they're. I mean, I don't think that's supposed to. They're just not going to be as good as they were a few years ago. But they always seem to have Oakland's number the last couple of seasons. And that so far is continuing. <laughs> and then after the Astros series, yeah. they just happened to play the best team in baseball with the Dodgers. <laughs> and with, ironically yeah, I mean, enough is where they got their first yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. And I I mean, it's it's like you, you look back at those fifth, uh, or sorry, those six losses, right? And it's like, how do you give up 50 runs in six <laughs> games <laughs> and you only score 13? You, you, you got outscored 50 to 13 in those six games. Wow. Like, how does that happen in baseball? Sure. Football, maybe. Yeah, sure. Um, but baseball, it's like, I don't, uh, like, like how, how, how bad do you have to be? I mean, starting pitching is awful. Um, Fielding is awful. Like, really, and, that's been a big, <laughs> yeah, that's so been far. a big thing too. And and you know that 
that's coming from, you know, I mean, I don't know what that's coming from. Like, are you just playing out of position? Are you, are, are the Dodgers and the Astros are just hitting the ball in such a way where you just cannot get to it? Um, and of course, I mean, like, even like the base running is bad. The, the, getting caught in the middle, you know, in a, in a pickle. Like, I, I don't understand, like, what happened. Just run to the next base, you know? And it's like the hitting is super inconsistent. You can have a, a two run home run and then give up seven the next inning, you know? It's like, 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 what is that? Man, those sound like they're playing big league baseball <laughs> from <laughs> what you're describing. I mean, oh, it's, it's rough start. Oakland does get off to some slow starts and then they kind of kick it up kind of in the middle of the season, the second half, especially when it gets close to the end, like August, September. And then yeah. I know like the last few years, they would be close and kind of catching the Astros and you go back and think, if only they got off to a good start, they'd be in first place by now. But it seems like they're digging themselves in a similar hole, but a little bit bigger than what they've done in years past seeing how they started 0 and 6 but they're they're 2 and 6 now right they won yesterday yeah they won yesterday okay. against the astros That's uh, <laughs> yeah but well, i i just don't know how you kind of rebound after this i mean i guess you can right yeah, that's the only saving grace, I guess, right now with that. Yeah. It is the first week of the season. <laughs> There's a lot of baseball left, but it does kind of set the tone, though, when you start off really bad, like <laughs> like 0-9 or like 2-10 or something like that. Right, right. I mean, you can come out of it, but it's kind of rare when it does it. It's not that easy to do. Well, you know, it's, it, it it's great to see baseball happening i guess yeah. i guess i can say that i mean that's the big positive i can take out of this with fans in the stadium too which is with fans in the stadium nice to see yes even though oakland kind of <laughs> kind of dropped the ball on on the um the the food aspect of uh, of this whole covid restriction oh no i don't think i've heard about this yeah so um how, how you do it now i guess is you download this app and then you it it has like all the restaurants that are open you pick pick what you want and then they're going to give you a time and a place to pick it up so uh-huh. so so you don't actually go to the place and stand in line and you know order and stuff so that's how you do it and then the um the app wasn't working the whole day the <laughs> oh, whole boy. that whole opening day <laughs> so Nobody could get anything to eat. <laughs> Does the Coliseum have Wi-Fi? I mean, <laughs> is that not up to date? Do you think it does? <laughs> Come on. I guess no. I, I, I have no idea if the Coliseum has Wi-Fi. I'm assuming it does. That's where the, the Oakland offices are. So, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah. I mean, it is great to see. I mean, even though you're, you're, you're at the, the Coliseum. It's it's still great to see baseball. It's so great to see um, uh, fans in the stadium. Uh, it's it's not a good not a good start to the season. But. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm sorry, Dane. I know I could complain about the Yankees not playing that great. They're probably going to be two and four by the end of this game, which they're losing right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same old story with them. Can't really hit when they need with runners on base. Can't get that big hit when they need it, except on an occasion. And players just can't stay healthy. I mean, Aaron Judge, that's so frustrating. Could be, he's such a great player and a hitter, but yet only four, three or four games into the season, he had to rest for two games because of general soreness. And it's just like so frustrating that he can't seem to stay healthy. And it's just exactly where they left off last year, it sounded like. And the pitching doesn't even seems to be a little worse too besides Garrett Cole and everyone else following him hasn't been it hasn't been horrible but it hasn't been great either so they're kind of off to a slow start but again I'm sure I'd, I'd sound like I'm really complaining and nitpicky compared to how <laughs> the Oakland season has started so I won't go into too much of how uh, not impressed I've been so far with the Yankees of this season at least you have some form of starting pitching Jim yeah <laughs> We, at least we got one pitcher we know we can count on. Yeah. Man, and the we got bullpen more than... is really bad this year. The, <laughs> the A's bullpen is really, really bad this year so far. It's it's not it's not good. And 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 I mean plus two. It's like I mean I guess it starts with the starting pitching. You know, it's like it always does. You you have to be able to get out of the second inning. You know what I mean? You, you have to be able to get out of the second inning without having to bring in a a, a reliever, so or at least warm him up. You know, yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, like you said, great that baseball is back. I miss seeing it. Hey, we even got a no hitter yesterday from already in this early season. Uh, the uh, Musgrove from the Pirate or the Padres. Through the first no hitter in their franchise history, which is cool. But so it's great to have the game back and just seeing uh, the highlights of all the different teams and everything going on. But not the best when it comes to our particular teams right now, Dane. So hopefully that'll change <laughs> as the season goes on. Well, at, at least we didn't get no hit, uh, what, 10 games into the season? Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. that going for you. Yeah. So yeah, baseball is back which obviously anyone who's been listening to our show for a while know that's always a big deal <laughs> for us. So we're happy it's back, but could be happier with our teams. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But, Fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know what it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to get through it. It's got to get through it. Yeah. But we can go ahead now and get into our Fellowship of the Ring minute-by-minute minute commentary. But before we do... Dane, you just let me know before we started recording that you finished the audiobook of The Fellowship of the Ring. And I just said, no, hold up, we got to save it for the show. <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on finishing it because he went through it pretty quick. I think he's yeah, it like a week or two ago. I know since our last episode, which is be around two weeks ago. But um, um, yeah, I think it was Monday. I, th- I think I bought it uh, this past Monday. Okay, yeah, so you went through really quick because they're not short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so the audiobook is like, I think, like 17 or 18 hours. Um, and I have to say, it's it actually, it, it really surprised me. Uh, Tolkien is a really good writer. He is a really, really good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you had warned me ahead of time, like, 
just stick with Fellowship of the Ring because it, it's it's going to get a, a bit tedious. This is and the beginning does, of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, um, it does a little bit, especially with like the Tom Bombadil stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't understand like what what was could, the point of that. <laughs> you could kind of see how why Peter Jackson felt it wouldn't fit in the movie that he did. Cause I know a yeah. lot of <laughs> doing that. Came out, was was like a, a complaint for some fans. Like, how can you not have Tom Bombadil with it? And how can you not even be in the extended edition? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Like he's not in it. Right. At no, all. not at all. Yeah. yeah. And, um, what's her name? Gold, um, gold yeah. Lily or something. I yeah. I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, like especially like that part is like, you know, what's 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 going on here? Like, like I don't see why this is necessary. Why can't they just get to breathe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's just get to breathe, and then we'll go from there. I think it's kind of um, cool though for him, anyway. Someone who's they paint the picture. He's been on Mil- Middle Earth and lived in it forever. Like he remembers yeah. all, pretty much the whole history of it. Yeah, and I guess the song thing is kind of cool to ward off the. Um. Uh, the oh, the tree, I, yeah, the tree, and then there's the um, is is it called a river white, w i h w i oh the barrel whites, yeah, the, yeah, the barrel whites, yeah, 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 that was pretty cool. But besides that, like I, I didn't see like what the point of it was. But so you actually see, if I don't know if you remember the yeah. two towers extended edition, there is a little yeah, when Frodo falls in. No, actually, fall. where um, oh. up in regards to the tree, Old Man Willow, where Merry and Pippin kind of are getting captured underneath the tree. Oh, I see. And then, but instead of Tom Bombadil coming and singing the, that poem, it's Treebeard, but he's sing, doing the same poem to kind of ease the Old Man Willow tree and to release Merry and Pippin. So that was kind of a little nod to that sequence, except it was just in the two towers <laughs> and not Tom. Oh, Bombadil. I see. I see. Um, but yeah, um, I. I really like the beginning, um, where where he's he's sort of describing. Um, hold on, my Siri, my Siri turned on. <laughs> what finally happened to you. Um, I can't hear anything though, but that happens um, to me so much when, when he's when he's sort of describing um, like um, the the ring, and when Isildur gets it, mm-hmm. you no. Know, and he's like, um, it, it. It's much more descriptive in the book because he cuts off Sauron's, Sauron's um, fingers, and it falls. And then he, and he picks it up, and it scorches his hand. And then he's reflecting, and he's like, "This pain is going to stay with me forever." Um, and like he, of course, he says, like, it, uh, I, you know, the, the there's. When you expose it to heat, there's writing on it, mm-hmm. and um, you know it, it, I, I haven't done it again because it's so precious to me that I can't do it. And I just thought that was interesting. That I wish they would have included it in the movie, like to j- j- just to like focus more on. It seems more like in the book, it's more like a drug addiction, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way he's describing it, and especially with with. Um, uh, uh, Smeagol and uh, how he he kills Deagle and takes the ring and he becomes obsessed with it. He spies on people and then rats them out to each other and there's all kinds of things. 
and then he's you know um, exiled, right? Yeah. Um, I I totally loved all that that sort of way that Tolkien puts it the the the, the grip that the ring has on it's more like a like a drug addiction rather than like a obsession sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I also really liked um, uh, the the Mines of Moria um, part where they they go in. And then they're reading that testimony for, or I don't know if it's like a testimony or it's like a diary. Um, and, you know, j- just the line where, you know, Gandalf's reading it and he's like, he, the, the doors are saying like, they can't get out, that they're mm-hmm. trapped. That we can't get out. We can't get out. Yeah. That, that, that was really spooky. That, that was really effective. Um, but yeah, I I I love the book. It's it's really well written. Um, it seems like Tolkien spent a lot of time on the dialogue. There's like a bunch of turns of turns of phrase where he's like, yeah, it, it works so well together um, in, in in the whole sort of conversation that they're having. Um, but yeah, I I, I loved it. it <laughs> it's, I thought it was going to be a boring slog and sure. Like the songs, it's like, okay, let's get through the song, you know, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to fast forward through this. Song. Um, but for the most part, it, it kept me enge- really engaged. Um, and I, I, I do have to say like, it, it is long winded, uh, you know, with the dialogue and everything. Uh, but I mean, especially like the council scene, the, the, the at Elrond's house, mm-hmm. that goes on forever. And it's like they're, they're talking about like things that have nothing to do with anything and <laughs> in, in what they're trying to do. But then, um, but then, you know, it's it, it's it's sort of helpful because you don't have to pay attention to every single little thing. Um, you can just get the main story points. I mean, unless you're a, you know like a big Tolkien fan or whatever you, or you read the books like every single year or something. Yeah. It's there. If uh, you want to dive in, which is great. But yeah. At the same time too, you can yeah. kind of just follow along with the main plot. Yeah. Um, kind of ends differently than, uh, the movie, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It actually kind of picks up where, uh, two towers, or I should say the book, the movie continues on further than where fellowship of the ring ends. So kind of like the movie starts off a little bit with the beginning of Two Towers, because yeah, uh, yeah, because if I remember, right, Boromir doesn't die at the end of the book. That's kind of the yeah. beginning of the Two Towers book. Yeah, um, the the Fellowship of the Ring ends with uh, Sam and Frodo going down the river mm-hmm. after um, Boromir attacks Frodo. Um, yeah, that's right. And then I. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't find out that Marion Pippin got kidnapped by the orcs. No, uh uh-uh. uh. You'll find out to the two towers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm in the beginning of the two towers right now. So And I don't think this will be considered a spoiler, but it's actually the movie shows more of what happens than what the book tells you. It kinda of, the book just kind of tells you what happens. It doesn't actually it's not a portion of the book where you see the Urukai kill Boromir or take Marion Pippin. It's kind of just described to you in passing as characters are talking. Yeah, right, right. Um, also, I, I, I know I, I bring this up all the time, 
but um, uh, when when Gimli says when they are at that pass thing and then Gimli says like, Oh, you know, let's go through the mines of Moria. You know, my, my cousin is there. He's going to hook us up, you know, <laughs> a great time. And then they go there and then, you know, they find out everybody's dead, has been dead for a long time. Uh, it makes sense now. Now that <laughs> I read the book. Okay. So if you don't know. Um, so people go, and then, I mean, the doors go, and then they they get killed or something. And then another party goes. I think the guy's name is Balin. Balin, yeah, huh. yeah. Gimli's cousin. So he goes. It. Yeah, he he goes thirty years before the the time of the Fellowship of the Ring. So it's thirty years before that. And then he sets up he sets up shop. It sends word back that, oh, you know, we found this and this and this and Mithril and yada, yada, yada. And he becomes the Lord of Moria. But then five years later, the I guess they dig too deep. And then all the trolls come out and the orcs and all those bad things. And the, um, yeah, and then they get killed. So now I have a full explanation of it. <laughs> See, the book it was worth it you reading the book just for that so you can get that information yeah so so it's been 25 years they've been dead <laughs> essentially uh when when you go there in fellowship of Ruin. so yeah yeah see i'm glad you loved it i was worried that you might not make it through <laughs> the beginning while frodo trying to leave the shire but it's, i'm glad to hear that you really really enjoyed it and i just remember when i read it for the first time just how i i both appreciated how faithful and closely Peter Jackson followed all the main bits of the movie and just kind of things taken straight out from the page and dialogue being word for word, but at the same time expanding on that and just diving deeper into the world of middle earth with how much Tolkien wrote in the book and just so much world building that he put in the fellowship of the ring. So it's just really cool to experience that. I remember for the first time just coming off of the movie having that being my first big exposure to the story of the Lord of the Rings. It, to me, it just made me appreciate both the book and the movie even more so. So I'm glad you started this journey on the audiobooks for Lord of the Rings. So um, you're making yeah. me want to go back and read it <laughs> or listen to it. Oh, uh, another good thing is um, I like how he takes his time with the story. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, like, so, so... Bilbo's birthday, and then gives up the ring and goes lives with the elves, and uh, Gandalf has to go off and do his research. So it's been like nine years. Yeah, it's a long time. It's been like nine <laughs> years, and then like Gandalf comes back and says, "Like this is the one ring, and you know we have to destroy it, and you got to take it to this place, and yada yada yada." And then Bill, will, I mean, uh, Frodo waits till the fall to leave. Yeah. <laughs> he does because he has to try to sell the property and everything, right? And yeah, yeah. I I like how Tolkien begins this book with a property dispute. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, sectal Baines's. Yeah. <laughs> You see a little bit of them in the extended cut of the movies where Bilbo tries to avoid them. <laughs> oh, do you? I, don't, yeah. I, I don't even remember, but... Well, once we get to there in our commentary, which will be a while, I'll be sure to point them out to you. <laughs> yeah. 
But also, I I like how Frodo um he, he buys a house and I can't remember the name of the town he buys it in. But then he he has the forethought to have his friend act like him, his friend Fatty <laughs> Bolger to go around and act like him. That's it. I don't remember that. <laughs> it actually works because it throws off the the ring rate. Because <laughs> they're they're following him around and then they're they're like they're um. They're they're like scouting, you know, Frodo out, quote unquote, Frodo out in his house, and it's his friend Fatty Bulger. <laughs> I totally forgot about that aspect. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah, I I I loved it, Tim. I really did. It's 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 a four and a half out of five for me. Awesome. Well, what better segue than to start? So a commentary for the Fellowship of the Ring for the movie. <laughs> and just relive that magic for a minute right now. <laughs> so as always, you want to get your VHS copy, your Betamax copy, your Laserdisc copy, your DVD copy, your HD DVD copy, your Netflix physical media disc, your Blockbuster membership card, your DVHS copy, and as always, your VHS to converted DVD copy through either a VHS DVD player combo or a PC program that you have to convert your VHS to DVDs, <laughs> whichever one you prefer. So we're going to be going from minute four to five in this commentary, still in the very early stages of the prologue, but I will go ahead and give the countdown. Are you ready, Dane? Yeah. Three, two, one, play. As we see Isildur staring at the finger in the ring. Again, such a cool effect of just seeing Sauron, his energy and power that he has just being released as Isildur kills someone, just mowing down all the soldiers there. I don't think not necessarily killing them, but just making them all fall fall down at the force of his energy. Just really cool stuff visually. That's a really cool helmet. It is, yeah. They're coming to the ring already. I didn't know it changes sizes, uh, depending on who's wearing it. Yeah, that's a detail I forgot, too, from the book. Yeah. This is a little extended scene right here. I've actually seen the sealed or get attacked by the orcs. Oh, this we... wasn't in the movie. No, and him putting on the ring right here. Well... As yeah. we were at the start of him putting on the ring, but unfortunately we're not to stop right there. But the whole that whole section of him putting it on, trying to escape, was added in the extended edition. Oh, I see. But hey, we're making progress on the prologue game. We're out of the opening battle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long. Well, we still need um, Bilbo's uh, monologue, right? Isn't Bilbo taking over the monologue? No. Well, we see Bilbo, oh. though, once we get to the, everything with Gollum. So it's always um, Galadriel who's doing the monologue oh. over the prologue. So, so that's another question, too. Like, who is Galadriel? Um, you you kind of come across her in... Uh, is it Lothlorien? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Lorien? Lothlorien. Yeah. Or Lothlorien. And then, like, th- there's some kind of blight on the land or something... Like their their home is dying, and um, they they 
they come across her and then I mean the, there's that whole scene where she you know says I'll be the most beautiful queen in all of the land everybody will love me and yada 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 with the ring so so like who who is she is she like the queen of Lothlorien yeah is that who uh, she is or is she yeah. like a psychic oh well, yeah she's oh, okay. one of the most greatest or most powerful elves who lives on Middle Earth and she rules with her husband Celeborn in Lothlorien, who doesn't really do much in, in the movie, but you see him with her. But Lothlorien, I mean, uh, Galadriel obviously has a bigger role. But yeah, they're definitely yeah. kind of rulers of that section of elves because there's obviously elves in different parts of Middle Earth. So you got some in Mirkwood where Legolas is from, kind of referred to as the Wood Elves. You got the Lothlorien elves and then Elrond in Rivendell. So, but she is definitely one of the more powerful ones. Oh, I see. I, I I really like how the, the elves don't like the dwarves and the dwarves don't like the elves. Yep. <laughs> and they're, they're like racist against each other. <laughs> it's like, what happened? I, yeah. I, I think it's Moria, you know. I, I think it was Moria because they, whatever happened in Moria, it affected Lothlorien somehow. I think that was it. I think mm. that's how it was explained in the book. But I'm not sure. So okay, yeah. See, I don't know yeah. that aspect. See, just more reason to go back to it. But <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate anyone like diehard Tolkien fans who, like you said, maybe read the book once a year or every so often and just knows all of these details from like like the back of their hand where they just can just recall it just like that. <laughs> where yeah, here I am saying I don't remember that. I have to go back and read that. But I know there are some who. Probably know everything and every detail in those books, <laughs> which I think is cool. That's the thing too. I mean, these books are so. And the, I haven't read Two Towers or the majority of Two Towers and Return of the King yet, but Fellowship of the Ring is so dense; it's like a textbook. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's like so many little details. It's like my brain can't handle some of that so it, it gets dropped to the wayside but i'm sure there's people out there that know like every single word and every single you know like oh what you know when this happened what page was that on i'm sure people can go back to it yeah and tell you what page <laughs> that scene happened you know? yep without question i know they're out there <laughs> yeah all right. Well, cool. Glad we're making progress on our fellowship during commentary, and Dane is reading the or I should say, listening to the audiobooks. So yeah. <laughs> that that makes me happy. Yeah. But with that, we can go ahead and get into our feature topic, which is going to be a review of one of the bigger movie releases that should have happened last year, but got pushed to this year and premiered on HBO Max about a, a couple of weeks ago now, and that is Godzilla versus Kong, and. So I'm giving my thoughts on it. I'll kind of just give my thoughts on the whole monster monster verse as it's referred to in general, kind of how it started and where it ended up here. So um, we'll be giving spoilers on the movie in case you haven't seen it yet or don't really care about it and you haven't seen it yet. We uh, can continue on listening. Um, but before I start, Dane, I can't remember how how many of the movies did you see of the monster verse? Because I, I know you saw some. But I don't think you saw all of them. Yeah, so I saw Godzilla uh, 2014. Yeah. 14, mm. was it? Yeah. And then nothing else. 
Okay, so that was the only one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see Kong, or I didn't see um, uh, what was the Godzilla? Godzilla, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, yeah. King of the Monsters, right, yeah. Okay. Which is why I was lost when I was watching um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Well, I mean, yeah, you won't know what certain things were going on and maybe why certain things happened, but at the same time, I don't think it was too necessary, <laughs> really, to just get the overall point of the movie. But um, I'll just say, starting out, I'll get rid of, get the negative out of the way first with Godzilla versus Kong. Um, the human aspect of it, a lot of it was pretty rough, in my opinion. And that was a big part of why I wasn't a big fan of Godzilla King of the Monsters. I just really thought the overall story, just the humans in it, really brought it down for me, taking away from some of the big epic fights we got between Godzilla and the different monsters. They were good, but uh, I don't think as great as they, I should say, it wasn't good enough to where I could overlook the human stuff in the story to kind of overall enjoy the movie. It just really brought it down for me. I know a lot of people don't share that opinion. A lot of people like king of the monsters and for what it set up in the action which i i totally get it just didn't work for me as well as i wanted to and that unfortunately continued with godzilla and kong there was basically two split human at storylines that were one i could see that needed to be there for the course of the movie and the to show the story of godzilla versus kong but then another one just felt like it was so unnecessary and i know this movie was rather short it was under two hours and i think it's definitely better for that but I felt it even could have been shorter. <laughs> like if it was just an hour of kind of just merely Godzilla and Kong. I would have been happy because the whole plot with the humans where you got uh, the scientists who took in um, the little girl who was deaf and who was able to sign with Kong and was from uh, Skull Island. That stuff I, I like, I didn't mind. It was pretty good and felt overall important to the story with Kong and what they were trying to set up. But the other aspect of it where you got, Millie Bobby Brown, the kid from Deadpool 2. Sorry, I can't remember his name. And then he, they're trying to find this podcaster who's trying to blow the cover off of Monarch and the conspiracy and all that. That stuff just felt really unnecessary to me. And just trying to force in humor that wasn't really funny. And just every time those characters were on screen, I was like, okay, let's just hurry up and get this over with and get to Godzilla versus Kong. So a lot of that stuff was pretty rough for me. Um, but when you're just talking about what you came to the movie for, Godzilla versus Kong, that did not disappoint. That I'm glad there was more than one fight. I'm glad it just wasn't kind of a thing where you had to wait to the very end to see Godzilla take on Kong. I like they had that little skirmish out on the ocean where Godzilla comes in and attacks Kong as they're trying to bring Kong to that location uh, to get him to lead them to that place called Hollow Earth. So that was a cool kind of round one and set up for the epic duel that we're going to get at the end. So that was cool. And then the final fight between Godzilla versus Kong, that did not disappoint in Tokyo. Just great directing cinematography as far as big monster action fight sequences go. It was, well, just the action was, you really felt the impact of these two Titans going at each other. And it was just really cool to see them use their abilities. Um, one, each guy had their moments where they get their shots in and just really great action there with these two monsters that you would hope to expect for a movie like this. And then also I was happy with the director said that there's going to be a definitive winner in this fight. It wasn't going to be like a stalemate, but, and I was happy to see 
as me being on Team Godzilla, that Godzilla came out on top. <laughs> I just liked how it happened, too, where he just gets Kong on the ground, kind of puts his foot on his chest and just roars in his face and just waits there until Kong, Kong kind of surrenders and submits to him as being the victor. I just loved how that whole dynamic of the fight ended. So I love that stuff. That was great. And then I knew going into it that this was probably going to be the case because they kind of set it up and at the end of Godzilla King of the Monsters that Mecha Godzilla was going to be in this movie. And I kind of knew going in, it wasn't a huge surprise that, yeah, Godzilla and Kong are going to fight, but then Mecha Godzilla is going to come and they're going to have to team up to take him down. And that's exactly what happened. But at the same time, I don't mind that because that was, I think, another great way to cap off this big fight between Godzilla and Kong, but then seeing them team up to take down Mecha Godzilla, I thought it was a good way to end this movie on. And that was really cool too. Again, just seeing visually seeing them both work together to take down Mecha Godzilla, seeing Mecha Godzilla's abilities and Godzilla and Kong trying to take him down. I thought was really fun action stuff. I will say I wasn't a huge fan of the design of Mecha Godzilla. I mean it wasn't horrible. It just felt a little like two Transformers to me. Um I do really like the Japanese design of Mecha Godzilla from those old movies. I kind of wish they would have had more of that feel, but not a huge deal. It just it wasn't didn't look as cool as I hoped it would. Um, so yeah, all that stuff was great. I loved what the movie was set to do as far as Godzilla versus Kong. It succeeded. It was just kind of everything else in between <laughs> that just didn't work for me. I did like though there were some elements of some cool story ideas with the whole thing of hollow earth being where the monsters and titans come from and how kong skull island was kind of a part of that hollow earth that came up to the surface and reached earth i think that was that was pretty cool and just seeing that whole world um was pretty cool visually so i like that whole aspect of it but um anything else mainly with the humans it was just like that i'll probably skip and forward this so <laughs> there's going to be occasional whenever i watch it again it'll probably just be like only. Oh, 45 minutes or to an hour I'll be watching the movie because it'll mainly just be for the monster action. And at the same time, too, that's the main point of the movie and what you kind of want to get out of it and enjoy the most about it is that monster action. And that's what I got. So overall, I enjoyed it. I'd probably go ahead and give it a three out of five. The monster stuff between Godzilla and Kong didn't disappoint, but everything else in between, yeah, a lot of it was unnecessary and just pretty rough. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. So Dane, I'm curious to hear yours, even though you kind of said you were lost on it. <laughs> I'm yeah. wondering if the monster action at least lived up for you. Yeah, so you see, I, I thought all of the human stuff with uh, uh, Millie Bo Bobby Brown and that kid and the, the uh, podcaster guy, mm -hmm. I thought that was a continuation of um, what happened in uh, King of the Monsters. Because I know... Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is in that, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought this was just the next continue, like the sequel to that. So I if, thought all, all of that was, you know, what like, like they're trying to do like some time thing or something. Is that what they're trying to do, Tim? A time, like, uh, yeah, like I didn't get that aspect. <laughs> I just, I just think they were trying to. Like, uh, it's, it's easy. It's it's really hard to explain because yeah. I had to turn it off. <laughs> and <laughs> it for me, it's how forgettable all that stuff was. <laughs> yeah, it 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 got too uh, bad for me. Yeah, um, it's so unnecessary when, too. That's the thing. 
Yeah, especially when like a Mecha Godzilla shows up, I just did not like that that look <laughs> of that thing. Um, that that whole thing with the company and what they're trying to do that that's what I'm trying to explain. Like, like what's that company trying to do? Like, like they found like some kind of atom or something, and then for, for like a second time stopped or something. Is that what they're trying to do? See, all I got out of it pretty much was. Yeah. They need to harness and sustain the power to use Mega Godzilla, and they need the energy source for where it comes from, which is that Hollow Earth, and to get enough energy from its source to use it to power up and use Mega Godzilla to have that human connection with it, as we saw the human pilot who tried to use it but got took over. So yeah. I'm not sure. I don't remember anything about a time. Maybe I just forgot about it. <laughs> anything that's to deal with time, but the main thrust of it anyway was for them trying to harness that energy source to power up and use Mechagodzilla so that humans once again can be the dominant species on Earth and not have to worry about Titans. So, you know, all that typical cliche corporate businessman who's evil and all that stuff, like again, it's like three to so unnecessary <laughs> with this. Yeah. You just try to add these human elements into it where you don't need it in a monster movie where it's Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> like that's what people are here to see. Let's just get mainly to that. I haven't really seen the the Japanese films, the Japanese Godzilla films, mm-hmm. but like, are do do those have like the human element in there too? Yeah, there's a lot so of like, it. Oh, a lot of that's just as cheesy okay. too. <laughs> oh, that's what I figured. Um, yeah, the, I honestly I had to turn it off halfway through uh, when the when the Mecha Godzilla showed up and. Um, you know they're flying spaceships and they go into the earth and the whole hollow earth thing which is it's like they're trying too hard to make the movie smart but they're <laughs> using a dumb concept to try to do that you know with the hollow earth and everything um so yeah i just had to turn it off it was just a little too much for me like if you turned I, it off the godzilla came you didn't really have much longer to go <laughs> <laughs> What, like, like much longer to go until a big fight scene? No, until the movie was over. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I don't even know where I turned it off. I was just like, yeah, that's enough for me. Um, when Godzilla shows up and they start him up or whatever, and then he does his roar, I was like, I, I, I thought the roar was pretty, pretty cool with the, the digitized roar thing. <laughs> but that was cool. Um, I really liked the, the first interaction <laughs> between uh, Kong and... Uh, uh, Godzilla, where Godzilla's in the water, in the water, you know, going towards the ship, and then the, the the battleship fires off the missiles and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I just wish it was just you know, let's have Kong versus Godzilla. You know, I mean, it's it's not that hard. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it's, it's you're taking the Batman versus Superman route, and it's like it's not working. It's like it should be Batman versus Superman. It shouldn't be Superman giving, you know, congressional testimony, you know, and stuff like that. And like we're getting sidetracked with all these other things, and it's like this movie is simple, right? It's mm-hmm. Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Kong. It's Batman versus Superman. You know, it's like let's just do that. Well, we, I would we say don't you need to... a little more nuance for Batman versus Superman. But with Godzilla and Kong, where it's monsters, that I don't really <laughs> expect oh, or really yeah, care to see sure. too much of that. Sure, but it's like, 
let's just have them fight in cool locations and doing cool stuff. That's all you need to do for a Godzilla versus Kong movie. You don't need to include all this other human stuff, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it's I thought the visuals were really, really good. I, I like the design of Godzilla. Um, Kong, you can't go wrong. You can't make it bad. <laughs> Unless you're going back to the old claymation. Well, you could, so, but uh, <laughs> you have to be pretty bad at your job to make Kong look bad. <laughs> I mean, he's just a giant gorilla. Right? Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a one out of five. Um, I thought the fight scenes were cool, but it was just too far. It, 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 it was, it was just um, too much in between that just didn't interest me at all so it's sort of what you're going at you know Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree (laughs) and just the whole in regards to the whole monster verse in general i just really thought it got off to a great start with godzilla 2014 and kong skull island i really really like those movies and a lot of people complained about godzilla 2014 how the human characters were boring and uninteresting but i really liked them because it wasn't they didn't. They were characters that didn't annoy you, where it wasn't forced humor or trying to be funny. Having these uh, characters before you kind of checking off a list, you got to have the comedic character, you have to have the nerdy character, and all like the tough soldier character. To me, it just felt like real people in a situation, even though one of them was a soldier, and you had scientists with Brian Craston, but they just felt more real to me in this real universe. It wasn't didn't feel forced, and I appreciated that about the first Godzilla movie. And my only knock on that was, yeah, it did take a little too long to fully show Godzilla that got a little bit of annoying <laughs> throughout the course of the movie where he'd show up and then they cut away. You don't see the action. Uh, but then Kong Skull Island, it was a totally different movie, but that was so much fun. Same thing with the characters on that. It had a little more lighter tone than the first Godzilla movie, but I thought the characters, they still didn't annoy me. <laughs> they just felt uh, perfect in this type of setting and story they were telling with Kong Skull Island. So I just thought both those movies did a great job of setting up the universes of Godzilla and King Kong and to have them clash is going to be something really cool to see down the road. But then I started to get a, got concerned when King of the Monsters come out and I wasn't a fan of that. And that kind of lowered my expectations for Kong Skull Island. When I found out that most of the characters from King of the Monsters were going to be returning for Godzilla versus Kong. And it was like, okay, I might have to expect some of some more of the stuff I didn't like in King of the Monsters. And that's kind of what I got in Kong or Godzilla versus Kong. So uh, to me, this whole, the whole monster verse is kind of something for me personally. Anyway, I know not everyone's going to agree because a lot of people love it, which is cool, but it just didn't reach the potential that I think it could have. And the hope I had for it coming off of those first two movies, I thought I kind of peaked with those two and then it just kind of started to go downhill from there. So um, if I were to rank them, my favorites would be Godzilla 2014, Kong Skull Island, then Godzilla versus Kong. And then king of the monsters down at the bottom (laughs) yeah i put i enjoyed godzilla versus kong a lot more than i did king of the monsters and i was super excited for that going in it just the trailers the monster list looked fantastic and while seeing that monster action in the movie is still cool it's just one i don't find myself revisiting too often when i get the urge to revisit this universe and see the monster i usually go back to the other two so um that's how i'd rank them i know a lot of people do it differently yeah, uh, I, I I haven't seen Kong Skull Island, uh, but I, I really like how they have them in the beginning um, of this movie, uh, God, Godzilla vs. Kong. 
Bro, it seems like he's retired. And he's just like, he's sleeping in a giant mud pit. Um, <laughs> he's just like enjoying life, just cruising around the island. And, you know, I don't know, I guess uh, just cruising, right? Is, well, yeah, because is, I mean, like, what what happened in Kong Skull Island? Like, well, that's that's the thing because I was kind of surprised with how it started off with Kong in this movie because yeah. Kong Skull Island takes place in the seventies, um. So really, yeah, wow. it was going to be a pretty big time jump, and apparently they got Kong off Skull Island and just kind of created this virtual reality of him to make it feel like he's at home, but really he wasn't there, and so oh. don't really know how that happened because <laughs> this movie just started off with him in that. Uh, base where they're just creating this virtual home for him. I see. So Did I was you... kind of confused just as you were when I <laughs> first started it and saw that that's what the reveal was, where Kong's not actually on Skull Island anymore. I mean, I thought he was just cruising. Like, that's his life now. You know, I just wake up in the morning in my big pile of mud. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just go cruise around the island, get something to eat, you know. Because that's how Chicken it was for him, on his actual home in Skull Island. So, yeah, that's what pretty much what he would do. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez, and, like, the, us humans had to interrupt him. Of course, and as say, usual. Oh, yeah. can, you, can you go fight this giant lizard for us? Yeah. <laughs> right on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you risk your life, um, your perfect life? And, by the way, uh, we're, for... we're going to keep you chained and tied to a boat <laughs> as we bring you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's that's great. So, 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 what is uh, Millie Bobby Brown and the kid and uh, the podcaster guy doing? What are they trying to do? Like, I they're think trying, they're just like, trying to prove that Godzilla is not the one kind of going bad on his own; that he's being forced to do this by that company, Monarch. By the company, yeah. yeah, just trying to expose what they're doing, pretty much. All right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that's our review for Godzilla versus Kong. Unfortunately, not as great as I was hoping it could have been. But yet, I was kind of expecting that coming off of King of the Monsters. But I'll definitely go back and revisit the Godzilla versus Kong action because that did not disappoint. And we'll see where the franchises go for here because I think it's going to continue because the movie's a big hit. And I think it's the biggest movie opening since er, since the pandemic hit. And I know it had good numbers on HBO Max. So we'll see where they go from there. And I'll still be along for the ride because it's, it's still fun to watch big monsters fight each other so it's always a good time but with that we can go into some news and discussion topics which we got some pretty big stuff that happened the last few weeks since our previous episode and none other at least for me anyway <laughs> is bigger than finally getting our first look and some casting announcements for batman the long halloween part one the animated movie and uh, first off the hollywood reporter had the exclusive reveal of the voice cast that um, got announced for the movie. And of course, whenever there's a new Batman movie, the one I'm most curious about is who's going to be voicing Batman. Is it going to be someone new, a familiar voice actor who's played him in the past? And this one's kind of both <laughs> because Jensen Eccles is actually going to be playing Batman. And he previously voiced Jason Todd in Under the Red Hood and was fantastic as Red Hood. This is one of those performances where whenever I read a comic with Jason Todd in it, I hear Jensen Eccles' voice and performance of Jason Todd. He did a great job. So when I first heard he was going to be Batman, I go, oh, that's interesting. But he did such a great job with Jason. I'm looking forward to 
hear how he does with Bruce. And then once the trailer hit, I was like, yeah, he sounds like a pretty good Batman. So <laughs> I think he's going to do a good job. I like um, how he's going with the performance so far. And he has a good Batman voice, which is cool. So, um, yeah, uh, that's cool. And then some of the other voice actors announced was um, it says that Maya Rivera um, is going to be playing Selena Kyle and Catwoman. And this is kind of some sad news because I didn't realize when it was first announced that she is um, the actor from Gree who died tragically in last July trying to, I believe, like save her son from in, in the ocean, like a boating accident or something. I don't know the full details. That's who that is? Yeah. That's who that is? Oh, God. Yeah, so this is going to be one of her final performance here, which is mm. which obviously is sad, but in the verse or the little bit we've heard of her performance as Catwoman in the trailer, she sounds like she's going to be a good Catwoman in this one. So a little bit of a sad note here on the announcement of the voice cast. But then rounding it out for the other main roles, we got Josh uh, Duhamel as Harvey Dent, Billy Burke as James Gordon, um, Titus Welliver as Carmen Falcone, and David Dalsmelshin as Calendar Man, who he's actually going to be playing Polka Dot Man in James Gunn's Suicide Squad. So um, he's rounding out for some of the more obscure DC Comics villains. And then coming back as the Joker is Chor Baker, who's kind of becoming the go-to Joker voice actor, which is fine by me. He's great in the role, but seems like a lot of the an- animated movies and video game projects, he's doing the Joker for most of this. So, um, yeah, that was great to get the casting announcement, but I just really could not wait to get the trailer. And we got that just a few days later. And the movie does look really, really good. I will say, though, I'm just a little bit disappointed that the animation style isn't capturing Tim Sale's artwork from the comic as much as I hoped it would. I know I shouldn't have expected kind of a full-blown just adaption and copying of his art style, but I was hoping they'd take a little more inspiration from it, like they did with The Dark Knight Returns in year one, capturing those art styles for those comic book series. Um, this one has the same art style as the one of the more recent Superman movies, Superman, The Man of Tomorrow, and even the upcoming Justice Society movie that's coming out in a little bit. And that should be expected because um, it's being directed from and written by the same team who worked on The Man of Tomorrow. So it makes sense that they would want to use that similar art style. It's kind of weird. It's one of those ones where, to me, it's very distinctive where... Like the black outlines of all the character designs are really highlighted. It seems like they stand out more in this animation style, which, um, like I said, makes it unique, but it's not necessarily always my favorite. So um, that's a little disappointment for me when I saw the trailer because I just really was hoping to capture that Tim Sale style with some of the character designs because they do look pretty different from how they are in the comic. But um, I'm still expecting a great adaption of the story glad it's two parts it does look really good the voice acting seems really great and the action on it seems good as what you would expect from these movies so i'm really excited about it glad we got the casting announcement glad we got our first look now we just need a release date because <laughs> they still haven't said that yet so hopefully i think i'm expecting it to be sometime in the summer so hopefully not too long but i cannot wait to see it and i think i probably have to do a reread of the comic too before it comes out because it's been a while <laughs> since i read that one and just want to get familiar with uh, certain key moments from that story again, too, before I see the movie. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, that was my my first reaction when I uh, watched the trailer was that I really need to reread uh, Long Halloween because it's been too long. Yeah, it's definitely been um, over a decade for me. <laughs> uh, but for me, I, I really like the, the art style 
that they're choosing to go with here in this um, in this movie because like it's it's like you said it's distinctive. It's not just you know the the run of the mill DC animated movie style, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I just I I, I really I, I really like the shadows, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I. I, I like the art style. Uh, probably not going to be a Tim. Uh, w- wait for t- the Tim review. I'm probably just going to go go ahead and see it. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it's for a classic story like this, yeah, you got to see it when it comes out right away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was great to get. And then speaking of trailers, um, we got another trailer for the Suicide Squad. Um, and I was expecting this because this one wasn't a red band. It was just a standard green band trailer that would play, I believe, in front of Godzilla versus Kong. So um, this one, I was expecting it just to be kind of more of the same, just cutting out some of the more violence and the swear words. But it was a totally different trailer <laughs> from the first one. And James Gunn even said on Twitter, I hate it when they release multiple trailers and it's pretty much the same as the last one. I made sure that if you're going to put out a new trailer, you got to make it different, which is cool that uh, he wants to do that for the fans. But this trailer, I have to say, I really enjoyed this one more than the first Red Band trailer we got. I just thought this one captured more of the fun we're going to have with these characters and some of the crazy situations that we're going to see him in this movie. Because they showed more of the characters who are going to be, who are going to make up the Suicide Squad in this one. And so just some, it looks like we're going to be some cool action with these really bizarre characters (laughs) that we're going to get. And even the humor that uh, was on display in this one, I felt was a little more funnier than what was shown in the Red Band. There's that moment where a peacemaker is kind of just talking about how he just believes in peace and far above anything else. And he'll do anything to get peace, even if that means killing every man, woman, and child. <laughs> and everyone just looks at it like, man, this guy's just crazy and insane. <laughs> so uh, I just thought this trailer worked better overall from showcasing the characters, the type of humor we're going to get, and the action. So... Yeah, it was cool to get another trailer so soon for the Suicide Squad, and I'm just looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Have you ever read a comic with uh, Polka Dot Man in it? I want to say yes, but it had to be something where it wasn't like where he was the main villain, but kind of just referenced as a joke or was in like a scene or two that gets taken out by Batman (laughs) right away. But yeah, he's like one of those characters that's so ridiculous that you just cannot wait to see him on screen. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, he he throws polka dots at people. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> and his costume yeah. is so ridiculous that it's great. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I just love that James Gunn is just trying not making it any different. It's exactly how it is in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a jumpsuit with a hood and. Uh... Polka dots on it. It's, yep, it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this movie looks good. That's all I'll say. Yep, and again, another one I'm glad I'll be able to see on day one from home. <laughs> again, <laughs> I'm just loving this. We talked about it last time. i just loving this whole getting to watch these big movies at home right when they come out. I'm enjoying it while it lasts. <laughs> yeah, and, and plus too, I, like, I, I wouldn't have seen uh, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah. Oh, I know you would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Then just the last bit of news, which is kind of a bummer. It really bummed me out when I heard this, but 
the new gods movie that wasn't developed by Ava DuVernay has officially been canceled by Warner Brothers in DC, along with the trench spinoff, the trench movie that was a spinoff of Aquaman, which I'm not really shedding too many tears over. I mean, I would have checked it out, but it wasn't something I was really excited about. But New Gods, uh, <laughs> I was really looking forward to this, especially coming off of Justice League or Zack Snyder's Justice League and everything we got with Darkseid in there. That kind of put me on a New Gods binge, watch, or reading some of the first early Jack Kirby New Gods comics, watching a lot of the Superman and Justice League animated series episodes with the New Gods, just getting really immersed in that universe that I love so much and just making me think to myself, man, I, we haven't heard much about the New Gods movie, but... I can't wait to see what Ava DuVernay is going to do with it. And then this news drops. It was like, ah, oh, <laughs> such a bummer. Um, I think in the statement, it just says that as part of our DC slate, some legacy development titles, including new gods in the trench will not be moving forward. That's what Warner brothers in DC said. And they thanked Ava DuVernay, Tom King, James Wan and Peter Safran who were working on the trench. But then they did say, which I thought was kind of interesting is that if the projects were to get uh, going again or, um, brought back up, they says it will remain in their skillful hands if they were to move forward in the future, which means that I'm not expecting it, but at least the idea is still there where if they want to use these properties again, they will go back to these creative teams, which is kind of good to know. But again, I won't be holding my breath that that's going to be happening anytime soon. But it was a bummer because, man, the new gods is just it's one of those comic properties that would just be so good <laughs> as a movie. The universe is like unlike anything else. Great characters, great backstory with the battle between New Genesis and Apocalypse. It's just, I think, is made for a really great comic book movie that would be awesome to see in live action. So uh, it's a bummer, but hopefully one day um, they'll we'll be able to see the new gods in their full glory in a live action movie at some point. But this was definitely some bummer news to get. Yeah, I wonder what you would have done with it. Um, uh, yeah, I thought she would have done something cool. Yeah, I was really yeah. looking forward, especially. Um, her working with Tom King on the script now maybe my, op- my optimistic about that is a little too much because I haven't personally read his Mr. Miracle run but I've heard nothing but great things about it even more so than um, his Batman run from those who like his Batman run to say it's like his Mr. Miracle run and his I think it's even his vision run with Marvel I keep hearing from so many people that it's some of his best work and eventually I'm going to have to read both of those but um, that had me excited, too, that he was working with her on the project. And just, yeah, <laughs> just, again, really disappointed that it's not happening. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But, again, it's Warner Brothers. Who, uh, they announce the movies, and it never happens. <laughs> and the stuff they announce right away ends up moving forward quicker than others. So you just never know when it comes to Warner Brothers and how they go with their DC movies, which is kind of frustrating. <laughs> Is that Flash movie still um, coming? I think it's officially filming now, so <laughs> it's looking good. But until we see actual footage, I, <laughs> you know, I don't mind if anyone still remains skeptical about it. <laughs> I can understand it. Yeah, that and Black Adam officially started production. I think The Rock has shared some uh, Instagram posts of showing him working out before going to set and showing little production photos. So that's officially happening too. How long has that movie been in production? <laughs> funny, I saw a tweet not too long ago that I think it was like back in 2007 where it was kind of first wow. announced that 
Dwayne Johnson will be playing Black Adam. <laughs> and then wow. I think it took another like five or seven years before the movie actually took out a get greenlit. And now it's actually filming. So <laughs> it's crazy to see how long it's been in somewhat in development over the past few years. Jeez. So 14 years it's been development. <laughs> yeah. 2007 to 2021. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, no pressure well, on the rock to deliver something really great. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I can't believe he didn't like because you know you, you hear these stories all the time where like the the, the the movie takes too long to get greenlit or whatever, and then the original actor leaves mm-hmm. or whatever. He stuck with it for yeah, thirteen years. Fourteen which, years, which I think is cool. I think it just shows his passion and desire for how much he wants to play this character that he's willing to wait until they get it right or ready to go on it. So good on him for kind of sticking with it and just really wanted to play this character. Right. So yeah, that's our news and discussion topics for this episode. And we can now move on to a comic review. Yes. actually got a comic to talk about (laughs) on this episode and it's going to be Batman and Catwoman number four, which just came out this past week. So I'll go ahead and be reviewing that. And as always, we'll be going into some spoilers on it for what takes place in this issue. And for our rating scale, what do you think it should be, Dane? Here's the rock has waited to <laughs> black Adam. Sounds perfect to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. Oh, I got to I got to make it official. <laughs> yeah. Got to call him by his official name. <laughs> All right, so Batman and Catwoman number four. This issue, man, it really kind of moved at a fast pace. It ended a lot sooner than I thought. <laughs> There's a, a lot of segments that Tom King is showing you here of what's going on in the story in the different timelines. Um, so one of the ones that it focuses on is Selina and Bruce's daughter, Helena, taking over the cave and the cow. And she's going, she's visiting the different villains of Batman's rogues gallery to try to find out exactly the connection between her mother, Selina, and the Joker. Um, because we know Selina killed uh, the old man Joker and in the last issue. and But she didn't reveal that to her daughter. and But Helena suspects it. And she's trying to figure out their connection to why she would kill the Joker in their older ages now. So these were some fun sequences where she visits uh, first Penguin. And I like a little bit of dialogue here where... Uh, Penguin says, what are you doing here? You're ruining my Christmas. And she just goes, I'm sorry, all laws. I don't mean to. And, she, and Penguin's all like, what? Sorry? What kind of Batman says I'm sorry? <laughs> so I just like that different dynamic showing that how she's not like her father here. And when she see her visit different other villains like um, uh, Ventriloquist and Scarface, um, Clayface. And, but my favorite one is kind of her visiting Mr. Freeze. And it's the opposite, actually, where we see Freeze in a cryogenic sleep in a tame in like this tube that we're so used to seeing Nora in. And Nora is actually the one talking to Helena here. Um, it's just kind of a crazy to see that role reversal <laughs> where Mr. Freeze uh, did so much to keep Nora alive. And now it looks like it's the opposite here. So some fun little stuff there, seeing what the villains are like now that they're older. And then we get moments of also in the past where Bruce and Selena kind of going through some trouble here as we know that Selena has been working with the Joker and Joker is kind of telling her that 
she's in such an awkward place where she can't reveal to Batman that she knows things of what he's going to do and that they've got to work together on this one job and that if she tells it to Bruce, it's going to ruin everything. He will they'll probably end the relationship. But it comes to a point where she realized Joker has a plan uh, to blow up this ice skating rink on New Year's Eve um, with a bomb that he planted there. And Catwoman knows about it and she's debating not to tell Bruce, but she's not going to let innocent people die. So before her and Bruce were going to go to this event, she tells him there's a bomb in the Gotham ice rink and Joker put it there. And you just see the pain on her face that she's struggling to tell him this. She knows it's the right thing to do, but know what's going to happen between her and Bruce. And Bruce um, just kind of doesn't say anything about it, just says, you know, ask for more information. And he just storms out of the room just as Batman would to <laughs> drop everything else at the moment and do what he needs to do. But we get a moment later on in the issue where Batman and Catwoman are talking on the rooftops and Bruce doesn't say, isn't saying much except where's the Joker and Catwoman is just kind of like, what do you want from me other than that? He just keeps pressuring her. Where is he? And then Catwoman goes off. She cusses him out and says, Oh, what are you going to do? Threaten me like you do every other criminal hang me from a rooftop. Uh, And they just have this big argument where Catwoman leaves Bruce and Bruce is there all on his own. And that's where the issue ends. But, the big thing that I want to talk about and just what I love so much about this issue is not really a big portion of it, but it's my favorite aspect. And that is the phantasm and how we saw in issue three, she captured Selena and kind of took her hostage in how we know Batman and Selena are keeping the Joker captive. So the phantasm won't kill him. And so she can have Selena and kind of wants to offer a trade, the Joker for Selena she wants um, to make that offer to Bruce. And boy, the artwork in this is just amazing. Clayman is doing such an amazing job overall in general. But the way he draws the phantasm, and it blows me every time I see her on the page. Her costume just looks so cool. It's just awesome. And to make it even better are the nods and references to the Mask of the Phantasm animated movie. Because where is... The Phantasm's hideout where she's keeping Selena. Well, it's none other than the Gotham World's Fair that we see in the movie. There's this awesome page where we see her walking down that miniature-sized city where Batman and Joker fought in the movie. And just such a great layout and design of her just seeing her look kind of like a giant in the city walking to through the amusement park there. It was just great. And then we get some more great references as it looks like she's remembering a conversation she had with her son where she's describing the World's Fair and the song that was played that we heard in the movie and how there's uh, a robot dog and a robot who cuts carrots, all things that we saw in the movie. Just fun little nods there. And again, I think it's kind of cool that Tom King uses that as uses those reference as a way to kind of make you feel what Andrea is going to in this conversation that she was having with her son as she's looking at images of him on some monitors and just knowing the pain she's feeling, knowing that he is dead and she believes it's the Joker. And Selena comes to her and saying, you know, we don't, you don't know for sure that it was the Joker who killed him, but Andrea has no reason to believe anything else. And like, that's where she tells her she's going to try to offer up Selena for the Joker to Bruce. And they just have this great conversation and there's this great, probably my favorite page of the issue where this close up shot of Andre in the Phantasm costume. And it just, man, again, Clayman's art just draws the Phantasm like no other, like I've never seen before. And it just looks really cool. <laughs> it's just amazing. And they just talk about how Bruce will try to, 
he just can't accept things that don't go his way. He'll try to find a way, a third option to not give up the Joker and to save Selena at the same time. So just great stuff. I just like the conversation they have um, between each other, describing how they know Bruce and how Andrea believes she knows Bruce longer than she has and how she knows him better. So just some great dialogue between those two. So everything with the Phantasm here, I just love. And again, it just makes me can't wait to see more of her in this story. And she's not in it a whole lot in each issue, but man, whenever Andrea slash the Phantasm is shown in this Batman Catwoman series, uh, she makes her presence felt and it, her presence felt to each issue, even though it's not a long one. It's just, I think Tom King is doing a good job of not necessarily using her too much, but just using her just right and just making memorable appearances and just doing a great job of with how she's being written. And again, with Clayman's amazing art, it just makes every moment that the Phantasm appears a memorable one, and I love it. So this was another solid issue. It moved a little too fast. I thought I couldn't believe when it was over that this is it already. But um, other than that, just really great stuff. So I'm continuing to enjoy this series. So I'm going to give it four out of five years that Dwayne The Rock Johnson had to wait before playing Black Adam. So a lot shorter than his actual time (laughs) that he had to wait. It would have to have been like the greatest comic book of all time and will never be taught to score as high as the amount of years he actually waited (laughs) to play Black Adam. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that's it for the comic book reviews and I guess for this episode. So as always, Dane, I'll throw throw it to you for the outro. Okay, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com, slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, um, Tim's Twitter handle at BatmanG311. I'll see you this time, Jeff. Thank um, you. <laughs> my Twitter handles at JaneSaysBanam, rate reviews on iTunes, and I email the show at BatfansAdultPants at gmail.com. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you with all of our monsters smashing and fighting each other <laughs> oh wow wow that's a good one. see you guys next time see you next time everybody Sundays under a Gotham cry